where we pray his word and as we just powerfully now sung his word, being part of a faith family where there was such a hunger for God, a hunger for Christ's righteousness and for his word, it truly is a joy. This morning, as we will feed our souls from God's word, we're going to be concluding the preaching series of the last several weeks in Colossians chapter 3. We're in a series called Becoming. We've been considering becoming who God has made us to be. We have learned the last few weeks that we have a position of holiness. That in Christ, before our God, we are holy. And so as we've read in Colossians 3 verse 12 here recently, it says that we are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That is who you are. That is your identity. You are chosen by God. You are beloved. God deeply loves you and you are declared right now, here and now to be holy. This is your identity. We do not define ourselves by our struggles, by our temptations, by our failures. We define who we are in Christ. And in Christ, you are set apart for service to the King. You are indeed holy. And we stand on that. We give Christ the glory for that. And it fuels us to continue in progressing in actual holiness. So we have our position of being holy, and yet we must by faith, as we keep our eyes, our gaze fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, as we focus on Him and beholding the glory of God, from what degree of glory we are transformed into the likeness, conformed to the image of Christ. And this comes from God who is the Spirit. So the Spirit transforms us and we reflect His glory and we progress in our actual daily holiness until the day comes when we die and are resurrected and we will have this process of sanctification complete. And we will be glorified and we will see Jesus as He is and we will be wearing white robes of purity, clothing, God's holiness, sharing in His holiness and praising Him, worshiping Him for eternity. And we have a taste of that here and now as we sing for Him and as we huddle around His Word and we become progressively who God has made us to be. And the pursuit of holiness is the pursuit of God. As we enjoy Him and His presence through His Spirit, through His Word, with His people. And it's possible only by God's grace. This is a miraculous work of God. His Spirit gives us a love, a desire, so a love for the things that He commands. This is just absolutely remarkable, but that's what the Spirit does. Makes us born again where we love to obey. We want to Obey. In light of these truths that we've been pondering the last few weeks in Colossians 3, we come to the last paragraph, verses 18 through 25, and also the first verse in chapter 4. What we see in light of these truths, we're called to live radical lives for God's glory. And here's what it looks like 
Colossians 3, 18 through 4, 1. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, in light of the profound truths that we just pondered here briefly from Colossians 3, and I say in light of that, we're called to live radical lives. And then he talks about being married and parenting and going to work. That seems awfully ordinary to me. It doesn't seem very radical, does it? It doesn't seem very exciting. It seems quite daily. It seems quite common and maybe very unexciting. You're like, you you would have expected in light of who we are and all of this glorious truth of we are chosen, holy and beloved and this call to be transformed that you would think that would result in something really radical. And instead, you read a text that it's like, oh, that seems kind of mundane. It's loving your wife and your husband and raising your kids and going to work on Sunday morning. It's quite ordinary. And so God meets you in the daily ordinariness of your life. And he gives you eternal purpose and meaning. And he uses the mundane, if you will, to sanctify you, to make you more holy and to satisfy your soul and to truly fill you in what is seemingly mundane God is using to transform you and to display his glory through you. So let me give you the main idea. The primary truth that we're going to be pondering from this text is that God designed the home to grow us in holiness and therefore display his glory. And so God has, by his creation, by God's design, he has made the home so that it will grow us in holiness and thus be able to display his glory. So living a radical life for Jesus is lived out in the normal, daily routines of life. And so do you want to be radical for Jesus? I mean, seriously, do do you want to be radical for him? Be satisfied in him. If you're satisfied in Jesus, out of the overflow of this love and devotion and intimacy with Christ, fueled by his spirit, with his word, you're satisfied in Christ, and out of the overflow, you know what's going to happen? You're going to influence those around you in Abu Dhabi you will be impacting and influencing for eternity 
but it begins in your home. This is the starting place for living a life that is radical and yet quite ordinary. God designed the home to grow us in holiness and therefore display his glory. We're called to reflect the character of God in our daily lives. And in this text, there's three categories, there's three areas of home life that are designed to grow our sanctification. So there's three areas of your life in your home, particularly in this text, that God uses to grow you in your sanctification to make you more like Jesus. Number one, the first area of your life is marriage. So the first area is marriage, and marriage is a display of the grace of God. This is what marriage is supposed to be. It's marriage is displaying the grace of God. We just read it in verses 18 and 19. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now these verses do not stand alone. These verses are in the greater context of Colossians 3 on this call to be holy. But it's even beyond that. It's in the context of the entire scriptures. We read earlier in the worship gathering out of Genesis chapter 2. Our brother David Bickerton read from that text. And if you remember, he read in verse 24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So, in light of our 21st century world, how should we think about marriage? What is this marriage relationship? Really? Can you just walk away from your marriage because it gets hard? Do we have that option? Is marriage rooted in just basically sexual desire? Is marriage nothing more than just a need for companionship? Is it just a a need, maybe a cultural expectation or or a social expectation that you, you grow up and you get married? That's just what you do. You settle down and you get married. What what is this thing, marriage? When you read God's word and it describes marriage and it says things like, hold fast to your wife. And then it says, you become one flesh. You begin to get a glimpse that marriage is far more profound than people today tend to think it is. Marriage is not casual. Marriage is not just having a sheet of paper that says, oh, you're married now, approved by the embassy here and by your home country. It's far more than just a document. What we are seeing here is it points to the glory of God. The ultimate purpose of marriage is being revealed, is rooted in Genesis 2, but it's kind of veiled. It's more implicit. But then what is revealed in Genesis 2 that is implicit is made explicit with much more clarity in the New Testament. For example, here in Colossians 3, there's a parallel text. We don't have time to read all of it today, but I would encourage you, if you're married, and in this room most of you are, I encourage you to spend some time together pouring over Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. It will do wonders for your marriage. 
but we'll read the, a couple of verses that are in that. In Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and two shall become one flesh. Oh, sound familiar? That is in Ephesians 5, 31. He is quoting Genesis 2, 25. But now he is elaborating, he is revealing what it means in verse 32. What is this? What is marriage? What is this one flesh union? He says, this mystery is profound. He calls marriage what it points to a profound mystery. And he says, I am saying that it, marriage, refers to Christ and the church. Here we see God revealing the purpose of marriage. It is a showcase. It is a beautiful display that reflects the commitments that Jesus has to his people. Jesus talked about himself being the groom and the church being his bride. And he loves his bride. Jesus will never leave his wife. And you should not leave yours either. Jesus loves his bride. He pursues his bride. He goes after other lovers. It's you and me. Every time that we sin against God, it's idolatry, and we're going to the arms of another lover spiritually. And yet Jesus continues to love his bride and pursues her and loves her and cares for her and nourishes her and sacrifices himself for her. Jesus paid the ultimate price for his bride, his own life. He laid down his life on the cross to save you and me. He paid the ultimate price for his bride. So now we begin to see a much clearer picture of what marriage is supposed to be. The ultimate purpose of marriage is that it reflects the love that Jesus has for the church. For you and me. So if your marriage is struggling today. If you, if you really are, if, if your marriage is just hanging on by a thread, or if your marriage isn't quite that severe, but it's just, it's not really healthy and you know it, or wherever you may be with your marriage today, the starting point to have a healthy marriage is to know and believe with all your heart the ultimate purpose of marriage. And your marriage is not about you. It's not. Your marriage is an opportunity for you to display the glory of God as you grow in holiness. Your marriage is designed to make you more holy, not to make you more happy. The reality is that if you want to experience joy, you will grow in holiness. Experiencing more of Christ in his presence will fill you and satisfy you in ways that if we're really honest, those of you that are not married today, you're like, oh, I should have stayed home. This is a marriage sermon. No, it's in the Bible. We'll talk about kids too in a minute. You're like, I don't have kids either. We'll talk about work later. So hang in there. But the reality is that in this text, there's so much for you to learn, even if you're not married. Let me just tell you something. 15 years later, being married, I'm not going to make it too romantic for you. 
And my wife is in the room, and I love her, and she's lovely, and yet she cannot satisfy me. She can't. I wasn't made for her. I was made for God. Marriage is simply one way that I can glorify God and how I love her. And by loving her, I can grow in my holiness, which experience more of Christ. There is a fulfillment and the joy and the meaning. But the problem today is that most people approach their marriage with the wrong mentality. The average person today, maybe even you in this room subtly, maybe you think or you thought when you were getting married, you thought, what can I get out of this marriage? And wives, I'm going to be general here, but this is unique. But generally speaking, a lot of women go into marriage because they want status. They, they want to have the recognition, oh, I'm married. Someone loves me, cherishes me, married me, and that makes me more, more important. And if you're not married, oh, I'm so sorry that no one loves you. Someone loves me. Yeah, your marriage stinks, maybe. But you think, oh, but I'm married, so I have, I have status. Others, it's security. A lot of women get married only because they, what they want is most is just security. And guys say, no, I want clean underwear and I want to have sex. And so I want to get married, so I have hot food. <laughs> and, and we approach getting married with such small goals, and they're all so self-centered, and we think, what can I get out of it? But that's the wrong question. We should never approach a marriage. What can I get out of it? Your marriage is bigger than you. It points to something eternal and truly glorious. To the love that Christ has for the church. It's not about comfort or convenience. Your marriage is an opportunity for you to display the grace of God. And when we begin to understand this, we have the proper biblical context on what marriage is, you approach Colossians 3, and it makes more sense. Much more sense when it says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now the word submit there, what that word means is a voluntary yielding. The scriptures here do not say, husbands, submit your wives. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, husbands, teach your wives to submit to you. It doesn't say that either. It's talking to the wives, saying you willingly, gladly, out of your own free will, you choose to submit to your husband's spiritual leadership. That's the focus of Colossians 3, so let's not lose the context. Talking about spiritual leadership here. And it's saying you willingly submit yourself to your husband's leadership. And what's the motivation? As is fitting in the Lord. Out of your commitment to Jesus. Out of devotion to your king. Who loves you. Died for you. Sustains you. Satisfies you and fills you. Out of devotion to him, you express that by voluntarily, in love, yielding to your husband's spiritual leadership. And husbands are told, love your wives and don't be harsh 
understand how crazy this was in the first century. In a context where both Jews and Greeks alike mistreated their wives. I understand this first century world did not treat women very well. So when the, when the Bible is being written and God is revealing, Husbands, love your wives and sacrifice for them the way Jesus sacrificed for you. Oh, this is radical. It's like, what? Love her? Are you serious? What is love my wife? This is a radical message. And it rings true today. So let's talk to the husbands first. We'll talk to the men in this room first that are married. And the ones that are not married yet, just kind of listen in. So husbands, your call here is to lead your wife. And the call to lead her is the call to cherish her. To lead your wife is to love her, to value her. Yes, to listen to her. Understand this, your wife's greatest need, this is from God's word. I can look at it in Ephesians 5, it describes it in more detail, but here as well, it's also in the text. The reason why it says, love her and don't be harsh with her, is because the greatest need that God has given to women is to feel secure. Husbands, understand your woman. She needs to feel secure. Even more than she needs those new shoes. Even more than she needs that manicure or the death, the spa without the kids. She might need those things, but what she needs more is to feel secure. And God made her with this need, and then he gave you the privilege of being the one to love her and cherish her and value her so that she is secure, so that she knows that she's loved. We ought not be harsh with our wives. How you speak to your wife matters. How engaged you are matters. You were called to, to lead. And we lead how? The way Jesus leads. Sacrificially. Loving. He sacrificed for his bride. Do you sacrifice for yours? Or do you sacrifice for you? Does your wife believe, deep down inside, does your wife believe that her husband, that you, have a selfless attitude. Does she believe that about you? That's how you're supposed to lead. Selflessly, sacrificially loving her, valuing her. We're to lead with the word. You're to lead your wife with the word and lead your children with the word. Do you ever open up the Bible with your children? Do you ever do that? Do you, ever, do you ever talk to your wife about spiritual things? Are you setting the tone in your home where it revolves around the Word of God? This is your calling as a husband and as the spiritual leader of your home. You're to lead in purity. And there's practical things. Like, for example, what do you let into your home? Have you put up hedges of protection around your home? What, what channels are on your TV? What protections do you have on your internet surfing? Do your children have free access to the internet on their devices? If they do, I'm sorry, but you're crazy. To allow your kids to have free access to the internet, put a, put a block, use parental controls, control what's going on in your home. You are responsible to lead your home. Lead. And there's so many godly women that are looking to the husbands and want them to lead, and they won't 
lead. Which is why God has called men to lead, because it counteracts our natural sinful tendencies. Because look at the garden. You had the woman. You had Eve, who was being tempted and messed with the, the, the serpent, who, by the way, Adam had been given dominion over all animals. Adam had dominion and rule over the serpent, but he didn't care. He was checked out. He was too busy golfing. He was too busy at work. He was too busy with sports. He was too busy being checked out. And his wife was struggling. And he's just watching her struggle. And he didn't lead her. He didn't protect her. He left it to herself. He should have told that snake, get out of here, and crushed his head. But he didn't. Yes, the ultimate final Adam will crush the head of a serpent. But that was Adam's role as a husband. The main struggle that men have are our, and it's ours, not just yours, our as men, as husbands, our main relational sin struggle is laziness. Now, you work hard at work. You, you probably play hard too. I'm not denying that. I'm not saying you're lazy. I'm talking about spiritual leadership here. What plagues us the most is laziness. We're tired from work. You get home and you're like, yeah, I'm not really going to engage with my wife or my children. And so the call to lead is a call to die to self and say, don't be lazy. Be the man you've made to be. And so this environment of the home, what it does is it helps us grow in sanctification to kill our sin and to have new desires to please Jesus. To care for our wives and to nurture, to lead them. And so those of you in the room that are unmarried, so men, that would hope to one day have a, a wife, are you growing now to become the kind of man that your wife will desire to respect? Are you becoming that man? The man that she will want to one day submit to, yielding in love and desiring to follow your spiritual leadership, are you growing to be that man now? Are you a humble servant leader now? It starts now. Don't wait till later. It'll only be harder. Let's talk to the wives, not just the husbands in the room. The Bible talks to the wives here as well. The call for wives to submit is a call to respect your husband. This, this whole man bashing that goes on whenever wives get together is not okay. It doesn't please Jesus. And it does not help your marriage. How do you speak about your husband? I'm seriously. What words do you use? Your husband's greatest need, I know yours is security, but your husband's greatest need is to be respected. Which is why, and again in Ephesians 5, last verse, it says, Wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Because she needs to be made to be secure, but he needs to be respected. And I know you think, my husband, what he needs is he needs steak or sex or sports. Yeah, he needs those things. I'm not denying that guys need those things. But as husbands, what we need is to be respected even more. Do you build him up? Do you encourage him to lead? Or do you nag him? Do you compliment when he honestly takes the initiative to lead? 
And you think, yeah, it was just once all of last week. Yeah, we've taken steps in the right direction. Encourage him. He needs it. He needs it. Look, grown men are not that different from little four-year-old boys. We're not that different. Wives, mothers, if your four-year-old boy runs up to you with his, with his coloring page, and let's be honest, it's terrible. Not on the lines, terrible color selection. It's just, it's not, it's not a good quality, you know, piece of art. And, and your four-year-old says, look, mommy, and you say, man, this painting stinks. What are you thinking? Say in the lines, boy. What happens to the four-year-old boy? He will never color again. He won't. You're going to crush his spirit. But what happens? You say, oh, good job. Good job. I'm proud of you. Keep coloring. Just keep on coloring. You're going to get better. Hopefully. <laughs> if you encourage him, he's going to keep doing better. Wives, your husband needs your encouragement to say, good job, keep going. Yes, they're feeble attempts at times, but can you honestly encourage him to keep going without nagging him? Encourage him. He needs to be respected by his woman. Because remember, yes, Husbands have their primary struggle. But you know what? Women have their struggles too. It's not just the men. You see, submitting to your husband's leadership is good for you because it helps you grow in your sanctification. Well, why? Because as a woman, your greatest relational sin struggle is independence. Yes, for men, it's laziness. But for you women, it's independence. Women tend to be the know-it-alls in relationships. This is just, I'm sorry, it's in the Bible. If you look at Genesis 3, with the curse of sin, it says that a woman's going to desire to rule her husband. And so wives, acknowledge the reality that you have a sinful tendency where you desire to rule over your husband. You have it. The Bible says it. Genesis 3. I'm just a messenger. Wives have the sinful, sin struggle in relationships of independence. And so to respect your husband is actually really hard. It's hard. But let me tell you this. The call for men to lead you is really hard too. It's just as hard. The call for you to submit to your husband's search spiritual leadership is just as hard and requires the Spirit's work of sanctification just as much as men to put aside the laziness and to step up and lead. It's just as hard for both, and both require God's grace, and both require prayer and encouragement. Wives, will you encourage your husbands? Husbands, will you lovingly, sacrificially, humbly lead your wives? Because let's just be honest. You know what we all want? Husbands and wives, we want intimacy. We want the same thing. And I don't just mean sexual intimacy, guys. Not just that. Yes, that's intimacy. But it goes more than that. More profound 
than just in bed. I'm talking about sharing your lives together. I'm talking about Genesis 2.25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I'm talking about transparency. Being open with each other, with your struggles, with all of your life, and sharing everything with trust. Knowing that He accepts you and you'll be secure. Knowing that she respects you and will encourage you. If you want that kind of intimacy, and I know you do, we all want it. God made us to want it. Submit to the role that God has given to you from his word. And this is also for the unmarried ladies in the room. If you're dating someone or if you would like to date someone, how do you speak about men? How do you speak about your boyfriend? This is the same thing. Are you growing to become the woman that will one day be attracted to a godly man that will want to lead you? And that are you attracted to women that want to be led spiritually? So we need to grow into this and we need to encourage each other. We need to pray for each other. We need God's grace. And marriage should be a living picture of We could stop right there, but we're going to move somewhat quickly in the next two areas of the home life. The other area is parenting. We talked about marriage at length. That's kind of the foundation. Out of marriage comes children. At least that's how it's posted biblically. And so parenting. Parenting is another area of the home life where God has designed to grow us in sanctification. Parenting is displaying the fatherhood of God. That's what parenting is. You see it in verse 20 and 21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. You know, parenting is hard. It's really hard. Parenting is designed, however, what it is, is to be a picture of how God fathers us. God loves us, cares for us, protects us, He teaches us, He corrects us, He disciplines us. God leads us. This is our Father, what He does for us. And so we must model that, reflect that in how we treat our children. God is a perfect Father. And you as a Father represent God to your children. Parenting is a display of God's glory. as a display His fatherhood. So as a parent, you are not just a provider. You're not an ATM. Now you might feel like an ATM as a father or as a mother, but you're more than that. As a father, as a mother, you are an agent of God. That's what you are. And you represent God to your children. And so we're meant to represent loving authority. This is what God is. He is the ultimate perfect loving authority. And as fathers and mothers, we are to reflect that, model that for our children. And so children that don't ever learn to submit to authority rebel against God later in life. Think about it. A child that has never been taught to obey, never been taught to submit to authority, when they, when they grow up and then they hear the message, oh, there's a king and his name is Jesus. And he died because you're a sinner and you deserve hell, but he loves you and he died in your place. And you must respond to him by humbling yourself, bowing down to him and worshiping him and loving him treasuring him and desiring to obey this king because he'll, he'll fill you. They'll say, no, nah, I'm good. 
Um, you can keep your Jesus. I'm fine how I am. I'm good. Because they were never taught to obey, to submit to authority. Don't raise rebels. Don't do it. Teach your kids to obey so that one day, in faith, they will trust and submit to the ultimate authority to King Jesus. Hey, I have four children. I know this is hard. I know this is really busy. And that's, I think, the hard thing about parenting intentionally with the word and teaching and instructing and correcting that's so just emotionally taxing is because we're, we're busy and we're stressed. But God's grace is greater. And he can help us and give us the strength that we need to truly teach and lead our children. Fathers, this is your role. Spiritually lead your children. Be intentional with them. I have some practical wisdom. I, I won't go into it at length, but here on the screen... Especially in the room, a lot of you have younger children, and a lot of you do have. A lot, I love our church that's so young. We, and, and so next screen here, you'll see just some thoughts on how, how to teach your children to obey. Um, you teach them to obey right away. So you expect them to obey you. And you teach them you obey all the way. Not halfway, that's not obedience. And you obey with a happy heart. And so we teach our children from a very young age. By age two, you, you could already be teaching them this. On how do you obey right away, all the way, with a happy heart. Because that is how Jesus expects us as adults to obey. So mommy and daddy obey, and then you have to obey. The life of obedience never ends. It just continues into adulthood. And that's where blessings flow. Now, I don't know about your kids, but mine don't always do this. My kids don't always obey right away, all the way with a happy heart, with a good attitude before God. They don't always do that. And so you have to discipline them. You, you have to correct them in love. Next screen, there's just some practical advice on what do you do after you discipline? However you do it, whether you use a corner or whether you spank them or however you as a parent, you, you discipline your child. Because if you don't, you don't love them. Discipline is an act of love. And so after you discipline your child, what do you do? Because sin breaks relationship. But you want to be close to your child, right? The answer is yes. How do you reconcile the broken relationship after you've disciplined your child? Some simple things. You ask your child, what did you do wrong? Or well, what did you do, rather? Oh, I, I hit my brother. Okay, this is a confession. This is good. But don't leave it there. That's just behavior. Second question is, why is it wrong? So yes, what you did is wrong, but have the child tell you why is it wrong. Because it's not showing kindness. Or because whatever it is that they did, there's a heart issue. And you want to get to the heart issue of before God, why is it wrong? But then after that, lastly, you say, well, what are you going to do next time? You're, you're affirming them. You're saying, you are forgiven. Yes, you were wrong. Yes, you were disciplined. But I still love you. And you hug your child and you say, I love you. Yes, they're still maybe crying. doesn't matter. You hug them and say, hey, daddy loves you. This is why I discipline you. What are you going to do next time? Um, I'm going to show self-control. I'm going to speak the truth. I'm going to obey mommy. Whatever it is. You're being like Jesus who says, go and sin no more. 
You're forgiven. You're redeemed. Now go walk in it. Now, now go and please Jesus. We must balance grace and truth. We speak truth. We uphold it. And yet we do it with graciousness. There are so many children that feel like they could never get it right because the parents are really hard on them. And it says here, don't provoke your children or they're going to be discouraged. Don't do that. This takes great wisdom to know, well, how do I balance grace and truth? And all I can tell you is keep your eyes on Jesus and the more you're experiencing His grace, more it's going to overflow out of you. We must balance grace and truth with our children and be authority, yes, but a loving, gracious authority because that's how God is. You know, God uses the home, parenting, marriage, to expose our sin, to drive us back to repentance and back to Jesus. And I'm reminded how desperate I am because I'm a father and I'm a, I'm a husband. And it's on display every day. Am I going to be loving or not? Patient or not? So the home is an incredible place that God designed to grow in your holiness. And God will help us by His grace with our marriages and our kids. Lastly, as we close, let's talk about work. That's the third area designed in, in the home to grow some sanctification. Now, we read earlier verses 22 through 4, 1. Now, if you looked at that carefully, it describes slaves. Now, I, I recognize that in the immediate context there, slaves are part of the household, which is why this, this paragraph talks about parenting and children talks about slaves because slaves were, were part of the household in the first century. But maybe thinking, well, why is slavery not condemned? Well, slavery is not condemned here because the gospel's goal is to transform individual people, not institutions. But transformed people will then transform institutions and cultures and governments, which the seeds here later did abolish slavery as an institution in this world. And so this text here is describing, so the timeless principle for you and me today would apply to us as employers or as employees, what you do at work. And so how you work says something about how you submit to the kingship of Jesus. And so work is meant to be a display of our submission to God's kingship. Verse 22, it says, with sincerity of heart, fear the Lord. Verses 23 and 24, it says, whatever you do, do work heartily as for the Lord. All of life is about worship before Jesus. And then he says, you are serving the Lord Christ. So your vocation, that's the same word for to call. The Latin word to call is what vocation means. And so your vocation, your job is a calling from God. Are you a teacher or a pilot, engineer, stay-at-home mother, soldier, Street sweeper, doctor, cabin crew, manager, employee. Whatever you do is your calling from God. That's what it is. This is your calling. And I have twin one-year-olds at home now. And so I understand piles of disgusting diapers. I understand piles of dishes. And floors that are sticky, and you step on it, and it's gross, and it's like, ah, I wish I had a dog, but I can't because my homeowner won't let me get one. I understand. I understand 
being a stay-at-home mom, how difficult that is. And I talked to Bonnie here recently because there's so much more dirty now in our house. It's just crazy with the two little ones. And, and I look at the kitchen, and it's a picture of sanctification. So why do I say that? Why is the kitchen a picture of sanctification? Well, if you think about it, every night, like in my home, we go into the kitchen, we clean it up, and it's beautiful and spotless. And it's awesome. But the next morning, inevitably, the kitchen is all dirty again. And the process begins once again of cleaning out and making it spotless again. And that's the constant battle. That's, that's the picture of us battling against our sin and our, our sinful desires and clinging close to Jesus and looking to Him and trusting Him to, to make us clean, to give us victory so that we can be clean again. But it's, it's a constant daily process and battle to keep asking Him to clean us. And so, moms, when you're in the kitchen and you're working hard and you're cleaning, remember, this is a beautiful picture of what it's like to follow Jesus and ask Him to continue to clean you. And as you're serving your family, know that you are serving other souls. It is eternal in its significance. It is truly a holy calling. Those of you that work outside the home, that, that go to work every day, maybe it's filled with stress, with uncertainty, no gratitude from those around you. Remember, you work for your master in heaven. And in God's eyes, no matter what your vocation is, it's glorifying to God. We must do whatever we do out of love and devotion to our King, Jesus. Your daily work is an opportunity for you to glorify King Jesus. We must see what we do at work every day as a calling from God. This will allow you to enjoy using your skills and gifts for God's glory in the workplace. You go to work because you desire to please your master in heaven. So your work is about the kingship of God and you having a privilege in how you work, your work ethic, your integrity, how you please God to demonstrate to those around you that you have a king in heaven that you submit to, that you love and want to please. Colossians 3.24 reminds us that we will receive the inheritance as your reward. You don't just work for a paycheck. It's much bigger than that. The reward is much higher than that. The reward is Jesus. We get Him, more of His presence, and ultimately in heaven, He will still be the prize. He is the inheritance. So focus on Jesus every day, in the middle of your day, whether you're a mom, whether you're out at work, whatever you're doing, know that Jesus really is right there with you. And working will help you to grow in your sanctification. Remember this, your vocation is a location for the mission. Intentionally build relationships with those around you, your co-workers, so that you can share the gospel with them. It's your mission field. Praise be to God, who uses the normal, daily routines of our lives, marriage, raising kids, going to work every day, to help us to become 
who he has made us to be. May we truly live our daily lives, the seemingly mundane, for the glory of our King, our God. Will you pray with me? Father, we do praise you today. Thank you for the privilege of looking at your word, being fed by it, nourished by your spirit. We know that in daily life that it can at times seem mundane, but it is eternal because you meet us in the daily, ordinary parts of life so that we can be sanctified, reflect your glory, and enjoy your presence. I pray that you would help us to be men and women that live for you. Help us to walk with you every day and display your character as husbands and wives and parents and employees and do it for your glory. We pray in the name of our King, Jesus. Amen.